Hi, everyone, and welcome to Behind the Numbers. My name is Dave Bookbinder, and welcome to the show where we dig deeper to understand what really matters most in business. Today, we're going to be talking about leadership with a retired Navy SEAL, CEO, and author of two business books, Be Nimble and Be Visionary. Pleased to welcome Marty Strong to Behind the Numbers. Marty, welcome. Hey, how you doing, Dave? I'm great. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah. So re- this should be interesting. Re- oh, definitely. Looking forward to it. Re- retired Navy SEAL, CEO. You're a prolific writer. I know that you've written nine novels in addition to the two business books. We're going to focus on the business side of the show here, but maybe if we have a moment, we'll talk about the nine novels. But you're obviously a prolific writer. Um, when we talk about these business books, what inspired you to write these, and what will the uh, audience learn from reading them? Well, I, I think I always knew that I would be attracted to writing. I didn't know that I was going to do it and publish it, but I, I liked writing short stories when I was a kid. I liked and was fairly good at writing when I was in the Navy. And, you know, sometimes that, that kind of skill begets more opportunities. So if you're a writer and people can, can give you tasks, you write more. The more you write, the more you critique, the more you critique, the better you write. And even though that military writing is a little bit more stilted and technical in nature, it, 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 it's a lot like business book writing because you're talking about principles and concepts and systems and kind of walking people into the logic of what, what you're trying to convey and communicate. So I had a lot of practice. And then I read the book, uh, The 4-Hour Workweek um, by Ferris, and there was a component in there about living your bucket list. And my bucket list was to write and publish a novel and a business book. So after reading the book, I decided I might as well live my bucket list and go ahead and, you know, focus on putting a book out. So the first one was a, was a novel, but after I the first three novels, I decided to focus on a business book. And that first book was Be Nimble. Yeah. And I really want to explore this intersection between military leadership and business leadership. I know there's a, an interesting crossover there that really uh, plays well um, and, interested to get your perspective, but in the book Be Nimble, you write about chaos and crisis, and you mentioned that that's exactly the time for leaders to shine. It's a great opportunity. Why is that, and why is that not the most challenging time? Well, if you think of the the inverse of that, if you have a dynamic leader who is well ready to reinvent everything and, and react you know, to crazy, but there's no crazy going on, everything's working, everything's clicking along, you know, management, the systems, the process, the people are all doing great. Having a leader jump in the middle of that actually is disruptive and destructive. So leaders have a place just like managers have their place. Managers are best utilized and and have the highest and, and, and best use when they're managing and maintaining kind of the humming of, the, of all those things I just mentioned. And there's just little tweaks and little changes. They go to the instruction, instruction manual they make an adjustment and everything stays nice and trim. A leader, on the other hand, is somebody who has to have the poise, the confidence, kind of the character traits, some experience that can step in when all those systems, processes, and people fail, either for an internal reason or sometimes it's an external dynamic, like a competitive move or even as bad as a pandemic. So leadership is actually, in my opinion, a distinctly different role it has a distinctly different set of requirements. It doesn't mean you can't be a manager who's been trained as a leader and you can roll over to that to that job description or vice versa. But what you can't do is you can't assume that somebody who's been trained and prepared and educated to just be a maintenance management type 
person is suddenly going to become a dynamo and jump into the middle of chaos and crisis and start saving the day, because that's not going to happen. Yeah, and when you talk about managers versus leaders, that's a really important distinction. We talk about that a lot in this program, uh, because far too often folks are just given the manager title as a result of just moving up in an organization based on their, their time in service. What is the, the key component, in your view, from going from manager to leader? Well, first, you have to be trained to do both. I, I, I know people that are natural leaders. I know people that, and you hear stories anecdotally about this all the time, you know, there's a fire, uh, there's a car wreck, and, and somebody out of the crowd who isn't designated, they're not an org chart or anything, they don't have a title, they step up, they get somebody to call 911, they get somebody to start, you know, stemming blood flow, they get somebody to put a fire out, and there's this nameless person that somehow just, you know, rose from the ashes, so to speak, to, to the occasion. So there are people that are leaders, but that doesn't mean they're going to be able to do that in a sustained way or even in a more complex management environment, company environment, organization, whether it's political, profit, nonprofit. So I think that leaders have to be trained to be leaders in the, in the industries or in the context of where they're expected to lead. I don't think I'd be a great leader in a nuclear power plant environment. I don't know enough about the industry. I don't know enough about the systems. I don't know enough about what's the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do. So leaders should be, I guess, found and nurtured and groomed and grown kind of where, where you find them. Uh, managers, on the other hand, they, they tend to come out of the pipeline. They, they come from you know, high school into college. If you're going to be an engineering uh, company manager, you have an engineering background. So you've been kind of prepped and trained to do your job and perform that role. There's less of a leap to become a better manager once you're installed, you know, after a couple of years in, a, in an organization. Then there is to try to take a manager who understands the business and try to turn them in to an adaptive leader. But there has to be that conversion. There has to be that attempt to train, groom, and prepare people to lead in that context. Yeah, and not every manager is really prepared to be a leader, no matter how long they're in that role of manager or even if they're actually given the role of leader, they don't often uh, morph into that role. Is there a characteristic or two that you would recommend folks look for in their managers as they're contemplating moving them into more leadership roles? Stress management. If in stressful situations you have, let's say you have 10, 10 people that you're observing and, and evaluating, if two out of the 10 in a stressful situation seem to be more poised and more calm, and more focused on gathering the immediate reality, the information, the data points that matter now that are new, so they can define the problem set and then attack the problem set. What you're looking at is, is the core requirement of a leader in crisis. If you see the other eight looking for guidance or go looking into the past and looking at their systems and processes and their instruction guides and books, trying to find an answer, or even denying the information that's sitting in front of them, denying the reality, you know, then they're probably going to have be, you know, that's going to be a longer learning curve for them. So in the military, what they do, at least in the U.S. military, there's a point in an officer's career where you're being evaluated every year for what's called command. Command is what I would call the leadership function. The other part of a military organization that officers provide services for is called staff. So staff is more like the management function making sure that the bullets and the beans get from point A to point B, right quantity, right time, et cetera. Command is 
those character traits, those those personal abilities that show up early and can then be amplified through training and, and mentoring that you need when everything falls apart, when you need to have somebody comes in there and evaluates the current situation based on the current reality, current data, and they, they create a new plan of action. So in the U.S. military, there's a point, usually after about three or four years, where officers' annual evaluations in writing starts to def define and differentiate them on one of those two paths. And so that's okay. You can become you can become a general that didn't have very many command positions, but you're a brilliant staff person, brilliant log logistician, et cetera. And, or you can become a colonel or a major for the same reasons. Or you can become a colonel, major, or general that, that are brilliant at making decisions and leading troops in chaos. So they make a clear distinction. They just they they try to determine and define and identify those during the, the path of growth of those leadership individuals. And I think that's probably the same kind of definition and separation you need in a business. You need to look at your, your team and say, who are the ones who are kind of earmarked to, that would be natural leaders and can be groomed to be extremely good leaders and those that are better at supporting those natural leaders in crisis. Because if there's a crisis, the leaders are still going to need top management people to, to rebuild and then start everything humming again. Yeah. And, and Marty, I want to drill into both, both books, um, if I might, to talk about some of the specifics that you've written about. Uh, talking about characteristics, a couple that you mention in, uh, in the books is confidence, charisma, and humor. Uh, we've got about just about four or five minutes to go in this segment here, so we'll have to keep it brief. But uh, what's your take on that, Marty? Why, why confidence, charisma, and humor? Why are they so important for leaders, especially in times of crisis? Well, then be nimble. That's kind of how I answered. That was a short answer to your question about what characteristics do you need to be a good leader. So those are three characteristics. If you don't have a good sense of humor in stress during times of stress, it probably means you're not handling the stress too well. A sense of humor to me indicates that they've got some emotional maturity. Maybe they've had stress in their lives and this doesn't really, you know, amount to much compared to what they've gone through before. That's, that's a good indicator that they're going to handle a stressful situation and be a better leader. The charisma part has a lot to do with the ability to communicate and not just through words. If somebody sees you and you're standing up there and you have a half smile on your face and a twinkle in your eye, and it feels like the building's burning down around everybody. And then you turn and you start to say, this is what we're going to do. You're conveying confidence. You're, you're conveying courage under fire. You're also conveying that you think this is achievable. And so you put all those together and, and you can make a, you, the, the humor part, you can make light a little bit of it so that they realize that you're kind of in this very comfortable space. This is what you were groomed and trained to do. So in a, in a combat um, context, think how, how good that is for young, you know, infantry people, young military people to look up when things are really scary and see a leader that's looking at them and acting that way. It calms everybody down. It gives everybody a, a group sense of confidence. If you see the opposite of all those, those three things, it's going to give them the opposite impression, and therefore they're going to get worried or, or, or more worried than they were before. So part of a leader's job is to galvanize everybody's energy, spirits, focus them on succeeding, and success is defined by getting through the current crisis. Yep. Marty, uh, for folks watching and listening, if they want to learn more about you or how they can work with you, what's the best way for them to connect, and where can they find the books? Uh, best way to do it is either go to Amazon.com or go to my website, MartyStrongBeNimble.com. There's access to all my books, articles, et cetera, on that site. 
That sounds good. It's a good spot for us to take a commercial break as well. Marty, you sit tight. Folks watching and listening, hang in there. We'll be right back after we pay a few bills here on Behind the Numbers. Speed. Down production, take one. Please tell me. Good. Didn't garnish. <laughs> on the Chowdown Network. We can't wait to go. <laughs> <laughs> Why are your mittens still on? She says. Please, God. That's weird. Okay. Dryer food, it's much better than our ability to actually do a take on television. We got you covered. Help me. <laughs> Trust me, I can cook way better than I can act. Roll sound. Roll. Sound production, take two. Hi, I'm Kelly Lyons, the host of the Gourmet Mama. Rosemary chicken, made in 25 minutes. And we have this and many other recipes to feed your family wholesome, clean, delicious food that you can get done in 30 minutes or less. So whether you're making dinner at night or planning for a big dinner party at your house on the weekends, we got you covered. We have recipes on RVN Television and we will be featured on the Chowdown Network at rvntelevision.tv. Say we've got grit, and we'll take it as a compliment. Because it's our uncommon drive, our spark within, that brings us together and sets us apart. We are temple made. And when others take shortcuts, when others take breaks, when others take the easy way, we take charge. A stroke can be easy to detect. A loved one can't speak. Perhaps they can't move. But there's another sign of a stroke that many of us can't see. It's called spatial neglect, and it can occur during or after a stroke, causing distorted visual movements. Fortunately, there's a solution by using optical prism technology during rehabilitation. If you or a loved one have experienced a stroke, ask your doctor about spatial neglect. Spatial neglect. See the whole picture at KesslerFoundation.org. Hello, my name is Robert E. Johnson, legal analyst. I want you to stay tuned in for my new show, Due Process. Due Process is an entitlement that all citizens must be treated equally when dealing with our judicial system and our government. Now, on my show, Due Process, we will cover landmark cases such as Brown versus Board of Education, Wong Sung versus United States, Matt versus Ohio. Now, make sure you stay tuned in for my show, Due Process, on RBN Television coming to you soon. And welcome back to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder, and we're talking leadership with Marty Strong. Marty, welcome back to the second segment here. I uh, want to continue where we left off. We were talking about uh, charisma and confidence and humor as being important characteristics for leaders for all the reasons that you articulated. Uh, what's a practical tip for hiring managers and how to look for those particular characteristics when hiring folks? Well, I think when you establish a culture, you have to do it from the top down. So if you're, if you're going to profile the type of leader 
manager slash leader that you want to have at, at every level of leadership and management in the organization, you have to basically lay it out. You have to draw it up just like a, like a character profile, a character sketch. Then you have to make sure that the HR department knows that they're doing two things when they're hiring. They're not just doing the technical screening of the specs in a resume to align with the technical requirements, whether it's experience or, or particular certification, et cetera. What they're also going to do, once they've checked that box, is they're going to move on to this other soft skills kind of assessment. And the soft skills assessment is to determine whether the person that they're looking at falls into that other profile, that profile of a manager trending to leader that can eventually become both things, because that would be the perfect solution, right? So one of the things you know we just talked about, uh, do they have a sense of humor? If HR is not screening for a sense of humor, you're not going to get anybody you know, guaranteed coming through the pipeline in management that has a sense of humor. One thing I found is you can ask questions like describe how you, you manage risk or how you detect or define risk. And if they're hyper intense and very calculated on a risk mitigation answer, they're really good at risk mitigation, which means they're really good at trying to not get into trouble. If you then say, well, okay, let's say that one of the risks that you've mitigated for happens, how did you deal with it? And if they go right back to saying, well, we'll make sure that our risk mitigation plan's updated, right? But that, that's, again, you see, that's a management answer. Yeah. That's a very uh, focused on kind of hope is, hope is the strategy. I hope it never happens and I've mitigated it away to where it shouldn't happen. The probabilities are in my favor. The other thing is if you ask that question and you get an answer that says, well, you know, you can define risks a lot of different ways. I could define it personally, professionally, um, or, you know, for organization, the risk might be different than for the individuals in the organization. In other words, they, they think about risk as a holistic component of life and, and business, because it is. The universe is changing, thing, changing things continuously. So there's no such thing as a status quo. There's no such thing as a, uh, a, a cold state of anything in, in the world. So if you get somebody who has an appreciation of that, that means, okay, they're going to roll with the punches a little bit better. And then you ask that same second question, you know, how would you handle, you know, something if, if something happened, you know, a risk became reality and then you listen. Now, if they go to, you know, looking at the policies and procedures and trying to redefine, you know, everything in policies and procedures that have been improved, then, then, you know, you know, the answer to the profile question, but if they start telling you how they would roll up their sleeves, get everybody in a room and figure out a way to, either fix it immediately or recognize it's not an immediate fix, but we have to rethink everything. That means that's somebody that, that's nimble. They're quick on their feet. They don't expect that the world or the company is going to hand them a, a pat suggestion or answer to the problem, that they have some sense of responsibility and management that they've got to solve the problem. And that's a great starting point for leadership development. Yeah, just one more thing on this topic. So when I think about confidence, uh, I heard someone say a long time ago, and it stuck with me, that confidence is, is the memory of success. So we can check that box. But are, are, are things like charisma and humor just innate skills that you either have it or you don't? Or can someone be trained to be charismatic or learn to be charismatic? It's better to have all three of those, cap those, those uh, characteristics. There are examples, and I've, I've been exposed to a few in the military primarily, where you had confidence and you had charisma, but you didn't have the sense of humor. 
In other words, you were kind of like a George Patton or a Stonewall Jackson type. You know, you you stood there and you looked resolute and so confident that, and you looked with a little twinkle in your eye because you, you're in, you're in charge of the moment, and everybody goes, "Wow, okay," you know, and, and it makes you feel like that person's in control and they're a good leader. The humor part, I think, is important because other people need that from their leaders. They need a little bit of levity. They need a little bit of a light approach to some things. Because if the leader goes down the rabbit hole of emotionally reacting to everything, like a uh, you know a, a person reading a script that just saw you know a, a serial killer walk through the door, leaders just don't understand how their communications, body language, and words, and their emotional communications resonate and echo through an organization. I, I talk to leaders all the time about when you walk through your building, when you walk through your your plant. People are watching you, and they, they do it in all walks of life. They look at leaders, and they're looking for cues. And you may be worried about the fact that your car's in the shop, and you're not sure how much it's going to cost. But all they see is you walk with your head slightly down, and you look very pensive, and they're just saying, oh, my God, something's wrong. Right. And, and it, something's wrong about what, you're, what they see you as, which is the leader of their organization. So, yeah, you can, you can get away with just the charisma and the confidence. It's hard to screen for a sense of humor. It's, you can't develop it, I don't think. It, it's got to be somewhat natural, but it's a comfort. It's not, you don't have to be a stand-up comic. Right, understood. I want to shift gears maybe to the opposite end of the spectrum and talk a little bit about failure. Every business, every entrepreneur I've ever spoken to always talks about how failures have been a significant turning point for them, usually for the best, ironically, but sometimes not so much. Uh, in your book, you talk about failure, disappointment, and resets. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, you just, you just basically said it. You, failure is a part, I'll, I'll keep talking about the universe, because the way the universe is set up, everything is trial and error. Everything's experimentation. Now, humans like to try to lock things down, tighten things up, and make things linear and predictable. That's fine. That, that Basically, you're living in denial of the universe, because the universe is constantly trying to change everything. It's changing the weather. It's changing the star. Everything's changing all the time. So if, if you understand that, then you also understand that experimentation, the error part of trial and error, is also a natural part of the universe. Therefore, you can't be afraid of making errors. You have to start seeing errors and failure as a part of the experimentation. You, the organization, your team, everybody has to get comfortable with that because what you learn from trial and error through experimentation is how to improve. You cannot have continuous improvement and enhancement of whatever you're trying to do unless you're doing that experimentation process. So I just tell people you have to take fear and, and the trial and error component, understand it for what it is, exercise it as a leader, exercise it as a manager also. Don't just have everything, you know, the, the programs and the systems are set and they're put in place in 2017 and nobody's going to touch them unless something falls apart because you see that a lot. Yeah. You start asking people, when was the last time we looked at this? When was the last time we reviewed this? Would you go on a, on a cross-country vacation in your car if nobody looked at it in seven years? But people do that with organizations all the time. So the constant state of being comfortable with fear, being comfortable with failure, starts to take the fear, the emotional component of failure and error, out of the whole process. You start to see it as a natural part of just doing business, a natural part of managing, a natural part of leading. 
So that's how I, that's how I I address those those kinds of questions and they're given to me. I like part of the confidence, you know, the uh, the other definition that flies around out there is the definition of wisdom, which is the sum total of all your failures. Yeah. I think you can be confident and wise and still appreciate that failure may be an opportunity to learn and improve. But then you got to look at everybody else. If they're not confident and wise, <laughs> they're reacting emotionally to the failure. So you still have to deal with that as a leader. You still have to make sure everybody else understands what we just experienced isn't all downside. And that's through communications. You know, a little bit of that charisma and humor. You kick that in and look, guys, this isn't as bad as you think. And here's why. And we're never going to do it this way again because we're going to learn from this. And we're going to fail. We're going to fail in a different way. But we're not going to fail like this again. <laughs> there you go. I like it. I like your quote about wisdom, too. Uh, I want to talk about creativity and innovation, Marty. They, they go hand in hand, and part of that creativity only is inspired through trust. And if I'm not mistaken, that's uh, a theme of your next book. Right. So in Be Visionary, the, the idea of Be Visionary was to help leaders and organizations first understand what true strategic vision is, true strategic uh, planning requires. And it doesn't require taking project management skills and just laying out a, a milestone track with dates attached to it. It really is about looking at the future, looking at the horizon, 24 months out, 36 months out, and then kind of spinning 360 degrees and looking at your environment, your internal structure, the external environment, <clears throat> your competition, the market, <clears throat> the economy, all those influences and do it as a, as a daily routine, individually for sure, and maybe you know, with some frequency as a leadership team. So you stop looking at your to-do list every day, which I, I refer to as looking at the tips of your toes every day instead of looking out to see the train that's about to hit you. Because what's out there on the horizon is usually one of two things. It's either an opportunity that you could possibly track to and seize that might be transformational for your organization, or it's a threat that also might be transformational to your organization. And if you don't look up and see that threat or that opportunity, by the time you get there, you probably aren't ready for it. You've created a crisis by your apathy, you know, your, your, your strategic apathy, and your competitors may have figured this out and, and leapfrogged ahead of you, and they're actually enjoying that opportunity, and you're watching the world slip from your fingers. So that's that's kind of the, the gist of that book, and, and they create creativity component of it is once you see what you, you think is out there and you realize what you are is, is not what you need to be or what you need to become, you need to sit down and come up with a plan that's creative and innovative because it may be a product or service-related change and transformation. It may be an organizational business platform or business model transformation or change that you have to contemplate. And, you know, I think it was Yogi Berra who ever said, you know, you can't, whatever got you there can't get you there. You know, you have to say, well, that's great. You know, our history is here. Everybody, thank you for your service. We got to this point. If we don't get to this other shape, we don't look this way in 24 months, we're toast. So let's get a bunch of people in a room and let's forget all the baggage of what, what we've been doing up to this point, completely clear our minds, you know, intellectual humility, and then open ourselves up to be intellectually curious. Don't just, you know, breathe in our own ideas. Bring in 
ideas, outliers, other industry inputs, and do that for a while. And then when we think we've got all those different injects and inputs from all these different sources as asymmetrical as you can, as you can find, the third step is intellectual creativity. Because at this point, your creativity isn't just a shot in the dark. It's not one person's, you know, kind of short-sighted or short, not well thought, thought through um, insight. It's actually been worked through by humility and then data collection from lots of different sources. And now you can be truly creative. You can truly apply all that and change your future. And that's, that's part of what I impart in, in Be Visionary. Gotcha. Real quick, Marty, as we're wrapping up here, just tell the audience one more time where they can get the books and how they can connect with you. Uh, all my books are on Amazon.com, but you can also go to my author website where my articles and books are. That's MartyStrongBeNimble.com. Great. Marty, thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate your insights. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. And we've been talking with Marty Strong, a retired Navy SEAL CEO and author of those books. Go check them out. A lot of good wisdom in there uh, from a lot of great experiences. And again, my name is Dave Bookbinder. I'm the author of the new ROI series. You can find those on Amazon as well. And I'm also the one that my clients turn to when they want to know what their most important assets are worth. Please reach out to me on LinkedIn. You can certainly feel free to shoot me a note. I'm always happy to have a conversation. Thanks again for watching. Can't do the show without you. Really appreciate your support of this program. And we will see you next time on Behind the Numbers. Take care, everybody.